Throughout the season of Lent, we are making space in our hearts and minds to consider and ponder the probing questions that Jesus asks in the Gospels. And today, that sermon series continues. So as we now prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us bow for a word of prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us, we pray. Open our hearts and our minds that we might receive your word for us today, and in our hearing, help us to obey. These prayers we make in the name of Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. Amen. The Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. This is the first of four so-called servant songs in the book of Isaiah that Christians have long seen to be an especially vivid foreshadowing of the coming of Christ, the Messiah. Listen now for God's word to you. God says through the prophet, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. And the New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Bartimaeus began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, Bartimaeus sprang up and came to Jesus. 
Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately Bartimaeus regained his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite memories about my father growing up was the ease with which I could gain his attention. Like any good parent, my dad spent lots of time playing with me and later teaching me sports. He showed me how to cut the grass and change a tire and came to all my tennis matches and piano recitals. But it was his attention in the little things that is the most memorable for me today. Because if I would so much as walk into a room where he was, he would always look up from his desk or smile at me from over his magazine as I passed by. I was fortunate to grow up with this kind of attention from my parents because the rest of the world doesn't operate that way, does it? In fact, we live in a competitive world in which it can be difficult to gain the attention of those we want to notice us. Surely all of us know the feeling of being surrounded by people we don't know and who don't know us. We know what it feels like to be among a crowd of people in which everyone has their own cares and concerns, their own worries and fears, their own needs to attend to. Perhaps you can even recall a specific time when you felt forgotten, overlooked, or unimportant in our crowded and busy world. Bartimaeus would have known as well as anyone what it feels like to struggle to gain the attention of those around him. The text calls him a blind beggar, and we meet him sitting beside the road to Jericho. Now we know how hard beggars work to get the attention of passers-by, right? They may shake a cup with some coins in it to try to get our attention or launch into a long explanation of how they've come to this point. And it's easy to ignore these folks, diverting our gaze away, either because we're in a hurry or it's awkward to be asked for money. Yes, Bartimaeus would have been used to trying in vain to get the attention of others. Nevertheless, as Jesus passes by, Bartimaeus begins to cry out, saying, Hey, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus is pretty fearless, and he must have been causing quite a commotion because the crowds rebuke him strongly. But Bartimaeus knows that Jesus is something special, someone different than the rest, and so he is undeterred. And the text says he cries out all the more. You know, one of the profound characteristics in the Gospel of Mark is that from beginning to end, Time and again, the people who we would expect to recognize Jesus miss it. Meanwhile, the people who we would expect not to recognize him do, in fact, know who he is. And so it is in our text today. Jesus is surrounded by crowds of people pushing up against him. But it's from the side of the road that blind Bartimaeus correctly identifies Jesus as son of David. 
code language for the Messiah. The lesson is simple enough. It is from the fringes that we can recognize Jesus. It is in our moments of blindness that we can recognize Jesus. It's in our moments of despair that we can recognize Jesus. And so Bartimaeus cries out, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus' blindness has humbled him. It's made him aware of his own limitations. Notice what Bartimaeus doesn't ask for. He doesn't ask for wisdom or riches or glory. He asks for mercy. You know, it's so often true that it's in our moments when we're most aware of our need for mercy that we also become aware of the kingdom of God drawing near to us, taking root in us. Have mercy on me, Bartimaeus cries. But the crowds try to stop Bartimaeus's cry for mercy. They rebuke him and tell him to be quiet. Surprisingly, the crowds often have a negative connotation in the Gospel of Mark. We might think that the crowds are a good thing, right? An indication of Jesus' popularity and following. A kind of positive fanfare, perhaps. But in Mark, the crowds usually cause some kind of chaos that threatens to dismantle Jesus' mission. Here the crowds are trying to keep Bartimaeus from Jesus. The crowds are trying to interfere with Jesus' mission. You see, enthusiasm is not necessarily an indication of discipleship. Though the crowds surrounding Jesus are enthusiastic about him, they end up trying to silence the voice of a person in need. They may feel good about Jesus, they may go to church on Sunday and belt out the hymns, but knowingly or not, they're actually working against his mission because they're trying to silence the voice of a person in need. No, enthusiasm alone is not necessarily an indication of discipleship. Obedience to Christ is what indicates discipleship. Doing what Jesus does is what indicates discipleship. Putting our enthusiasm into faithful action is what is an indication of discipleship. As the crowd's rebuking grows louder, I can imagine the desperation in Bartimaeus's voice. He sounds close to panicking, close to exhaustion from trying so hard to compete with this crowd of people, all of whom are vying for Jesus's attention. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're crying out to the Lord, but the noise and the chaos of other things in your life chokes out your voice? What are the crowds in your life? What are the things that try to get in between you and Jesus? What tries to interfere with your discipleship? Maybe it's the struggles of a wayward family member who's causing conflict and division in the family. Or maybe it's the aches and pains of old age that seem to plague you all the time. Or maybe it's a sin that you've struggled with for as long as you can remember. Or maybe it's something about the Christian faith that doesn't make sense to you intellectually no matter how much you wrestle with it. Well, the crowds rebuking 
does not stop Jesus from turning his attention to dear Bartimaeus. The text says that Jesus stopped or stood still. And turning his attention to Bartimaeus, he tells his disciples to call him. Put yourself in this story. Imagine this moment. Can you picture Jesus stopping as he walks by and turning and fixing his gaze on you as you sit by the side of the road of your life? It's a beautiful image. And so Bartimaeus, faithful disciple that he is, throws off his cloak and eagerly runs and finds himself at the feet of Jesus. What an exciting feeling, right? But what an anxious feeling, too, don't you think? I mean, surely Bartimaeus must have wondered how he would be received by the Lord Jesus. After all, here is a man who has been calling out to Jesus from his place of blindness. He must have wondered if Jesus would put any conditions on receiving him. Would Jesus ask for a good explanation as to how he'd gone and gotten himself blind? Well, Jesus asks him why he deserves his mercy, or how is he going to change his ways if Jesus is kind enough to show him mercy? Or will Jesus be too preoccupied with the crowds and trying to get out of Jericho to give Bartimaeus the time of day? Surely Bartimaeus must have been trembling at this point, because he would have learned from the world around him that he didn't have much to offer this important great teacher, because after all, surely important people have better things to do than associates with the outcasts of society, with those who cannot produce, with those who cannot get it together. Ah, but friends, here is the good news of the gospel for us this morning. Jesus is not of this world, and he doesn't operate with the same kind of dog-eat-dog -dog mentality to which even the best of us sometimes fall prey. Instead, Jesus turns and asks Bartimaeus one of the most moving questions in all of Scripture. What do you want me to do for you? Now, surely this probing question of Jesus is a rhetorical question, right? Bartimaeus is blind, after all, and so it would have been obvious enough that his desire would be to see again. And yet Jesus invites Bartimaeus to give voice to his desires and longings. Jesus does this. He gives voice to the voiceless. And so he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And gives him the opportunity to say, Lord, I want to see. Jesus asks each of us this morning the same question. What do you want Jesus to do for you? It is a gracious invitation, a response to our need for the mercy that he so freely gives to those who seek it in him. So how would you answer the question, what do you want Jesus to do for you? What do you want him to know? For what situation in your life do you find yourself needing the mercy and love of God today? A decade ago, when I was living in Vail, I often played tennis with a group of non-religious folks who knew that I was a pastoral intern in a church. By the way, forgive me if I've told this story before, but 
I'm only 32, so I only have so many stories to use as sermon illustrations. One day after a match, I was sipping water with my opponent and was surprised when he said to me, Would you pray for my friend? He's dying of cancer and his wife is almost completely undone. Of course I will, I said. I'm sorry to hear that news. Then he said, I know that working in a church, you're pretty close to the big guy upstairs, and so since I can't pray, I was hoping that you'd pray for me. And I didn't want that throwaway remark to slip past me, so I said, what makes you think that you cannot pray? And he said to me, Brian, I've done some bad things in my life. God isn't paying any attention to me. And there is this tendency among discouraged people to doubt God's attentiveness to individual human beings. Perhaps this comes from a neglect of prayer and spiritual disciplines or from competing philosophies that tend to push God to the periphery of our experience. Or maybe, like the man I was playing tennis with, our bad experiences simply cause us to doubt God's attentiveness to us or God's love for us. But the way in which Jesus is attentive to Bartimaeus is indicative of the way in which God is attentive to us. In all of our struggles and misery and pain, no matter the chaos swirling around us, no matter the trembling in our voices, Jesus turns to us, calls us to himself, and asks us, what do you want me to do for you? The question is, are we willing to commit ourselves to praying in such a way that we seek to answer his question? Can we say with Bartimaeus, Lord, I want to see. Now, maybe you're too pious to dare make your request known to God. You're too humble to tell Jesus what you want him to do for you. Maybe you're one of those people who thinks that God has more important things to do with the divine time than to listen to what you would call your petty little needs and worries. Well, you may be right that the world's great problems like the pandemic or violence in the Middle East are more weighty than any one person's individual problems. But you'd be wrong to think God can't multitask. You'd be wrong to think that God doesn't want to hear from you. You'd be wrong to think that God doesn't want to hear you pray about even the slightest desires and fears that you carry with you. God's a really good listener. God can hear us all at once. So are you willing to answer Jesus' question this morning? Are you willing to pray the prayers that are on your heart with the confidence that God is attentive to you? Will you drink deeply from the wellspring of truth that God knows every hair on your head, every word before it forms on your tongue, every breath as it gathers in your lungs? Of course, God is not at our command, so we may not get from God exactly what we want, exactly when we want it. We all know that experience. God answers our prayers in a variety of ways, and God alone holds the secret wisdom of all the things that we will never understand. That is true. But whenever we pray, we will always get 
the tender care and attention and love of a God who holds us like a mother holds her newborn child, like a father who runs to welcome the prodigal home. My prayer for us today is that we might grow deeper into the knowledge that we are children of God, before whom we can come seeking mercy, before whom we will always get careful care and attention and love. Because, friends, our God is a God who always looks up at us when we walk into the room. Alleluia. Amen.